This is the Alabama Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support Podcast. Our goal in this podcast is to provide you with information, whether you are a law enforcement officer or first responder, to help you deal with your everyday stressors. Welcome to today's broadcast. My name is Keith Frith. We have with us today Tim Falk, Clinical Director of Alleeps, and also we have Sheriff Whitcomb from Cattaraugus County in Western New York. Glad you're with us today. Appreciate you being here, Sheriff. Tim, today's topic is going to be the impact of trauma on a law enforcement officer. So I want you to get us started with this topic today. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Sheriff, for being with us. I'm excited uh, about uh, next month. Uh, We will have a, a a meet and greet on Monday night and then on Tuesday. Uh, Sheriff Whitcomb will be with us all day to talk about trauma and the impact uh, that it has on a law enforcement officer. I met Sheriff uh, probably two years ago at the COPS conference in um, Atlanta, and I've told him and I'll tell others uh, I'm an old man, and I've heard a lot of uh, speakers in my lifetime. And Sheriff Whitcomb's right there in the top three because not only does he come from a law enforcement perspective, he also comes from a clinical perspective. And so with nothing further ado, I want to turn it over to Sheriff Whitcomb. Sheriff, thank you for being with us, and uh, share with us about the impact of trauma on a law enforcement officer. Yeah, good morning. I I look forward uh, not only to the podcast, but uh, coming to Alabama next month and having the opportunity to uh, deliver the presentation that I I put together, I guess, about 10 or 11 years ago now. Um, The presentation uh, that you're bringing me to do, I actually started as about a 45-minute block about 11 years ago, and I delivered it at the New York State Sheriff's Association Winter Conference. So every sheriff in New York State was there. And it was really kind of putting my head out on the block and wondering if this was going to be a good idea or not. And I'll, I'll get to what the catalyst was momentarily. But when I finished that 45-minute block, every sheriff in New York stood up and not only uh, stood up to acknowledge that they thought it was a good presentation, but they all uh, formed a like a single-file line, and they approached me and, and shook my hand. And I realized at that moment that this was a hot topic that has been a long time coming to have a room of colleagues, such as elected sheriffs, um, have that type of a response. I, I knew that not only I was on to something, but I, I also needed to dive into it and, and do it even better and greater. So that 45-minute that presentation that started uh, December of uh, 2009 is now uh, about a four-hour presentation. And I deliver it two or three times a month. I uh, can't do much more than that because I am the elected sheriff. And, uh, and if, if you're not here, you uh, somebody else is going to try to take my seat. <laughs> so I have to be careful and cognizant of how often I'm not at the office, obviously. So, uh, but and two or three times is, is, is enough a month for me, quite frankly, because uh, I'm a family guy and uh, my wife doesn't want me to leave and I don't want to leave her. And we have four kids. I got one in college, one in high school, one in middle school and one in elementary school. So we're busy. 
But uh, this January, I'll start my 32nd year in law enforcement. And I went to the academy in Buffalo, New York, in uh, graduating January of 1990. And I worked for a city police department for about a year. And then in 91, January of 91, I transferred to the Cattaraugus County Sheriff's Office. And I worked midnights for a couple, two, three years. Then I did the traffic division for a, a couple of years. And then I was a DARE officer for a brief window of time. And in 96, I made detective and I was assigned to work uh, major crime. And I was assigned specifically to sex crimes and juvenile crime. And uh, I did that for two years and promoted to detective sergeant. So I became a supervisor in our criminal investigation bureau. And I continued to work my caseload of, of cases as well. And I, I did that for about five and a half years. And uh, it was during that time that I went back to school. And I, I got a master's degree in counseling psychology from St. Bonaventure University. <clears throat> Little did I know at that time that that education was going to play such a big role for me in what I'm trying to do today with trauma in first responders and specifically law enforcement suicide. But uh, as fate would have it, I, I was taking courses with all of these young students that were budding therapists. They were going to become counselors that were going to learn to sit down with people and try to connect with them in a manner that they could open up and reveal secrets that they've been keeping that are har harboring them from having their greatest quality of life. And those are, those are difficult conversations. And but these young students that were learning to be clinicians um, were being trained to be in the position to maneuver through those psychological dynamics through 45 minute or one hour sessions for 10 to 15 weeks. And I was taking in this information and abnormal psychology, developmental psychology and counseling theory and counseling practicum and history of counseling. And all I was doing was thinking about, man, how can I use this to help me get confessions? Right. <laughs> and I, I don't get 10 weeks. I get one eight hour shot to secure the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then I've got to do it with the victim and, create an environment that I can get one big long counseling session with them and, you know, help them maneuver around being scared or embarrassed or ashamed and, and get them to reveal the truth. And I, I found it quite fascinating and it, it made me in hindsight, perhaps a more dangerous detective. And, uh, I put that information into a uh, eight hour training block and was certified by the New York State Division of Criminal Justice Services. And uh, I got an eight hour course of interview and interrogation uh, certified by the state. And I started teaching throughout New York State, you know, teaching baby cops uh, that were becoming detectives, you know, how to use some of that skill set that I, I picked up at St. Bonaventure in the interview and interrogation room. So I kind of started to become an instructor, right? And uh, 
I started to teach at uh, Jamestown Community College. And I, I taught interview and interrogation for them and a variety of other criminal justice courses. And uh, in my coursework at St. Bonaventure, I started to become aware of a lot of disorders that are diagnosed in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, right? It was a DSM-4 when I was at Bonas. Now it's a five, of course. But um, I started to learn a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder. And it dawned on me that a lot of colleagues that I've now worked with, right, when I went to Bonaventure, I took one class at a time. And I started in 1996. So it took me about four years to get my master's degree in counseling psychology because Bonas is really expensive. So I only took one class at a time. So that coincided with me getting to about the 10 year mark in law enforcement. I was halfway to my 20 year pension. And, and spending that amount of time in the subculture of law enforcement and, uh, I got to see some of the quality of life of my colleagues decline. And I couldn't really connect all of the dots through the eyes of a, of a police officer as to why, but I, I suspected that the very nature of our job had something to do with it. And there's a pretty good clue there that we had early retirement incentives and that should have told me what it did tell me that's that, Police officers are intended to be renewable resources. These aren't like jobs in medicine. They're not like jobs in education where you do them for four decades. There's a wear and tear that's unique in this subculture. And uh, that wear and tear somehow started to affect the quality of life of some of my brothers and sisters in my law enforcement family that I had developed very strong relationships with. And Somewhere along the line, what I what I didn't share with you too is I also got onto our tactical team. I was on our SRT team for 12 years. So you very acclimated with the bond that it's generated in our our culture. And uh, eventually, you know, I press fast forward, I became an administrator in our agency. I became the undersheriff, second in command. And my sheriff at the time was uh, one of my best friends. His name was Dennis John. And he was my supervisor since 1996. When I made detective, he was detective sergeant. Uh, when I made detective sergeant, uh, he made chief of detectives. When he made undersheriff, I made lieutenant. And then he ultimately became the sheriff of Cattaraugus County. And when he did, he tapped me to be uh, his undersheriff. So he was my first line supervisor from 1996 <clears throat> until August 18th, 2009 at 9.03 a.m. He sent me a text message and he advised me that he was sorry. <laughs> it's funny. I've never done a podcast like this when I do the presentations, uh, doctor, but uh, I'm sitting at his desk. I'm sitting at his office right now talking to you about this. It's, uh, it's a bit close to home. I got his picture on the wall that you can't see it. He sent me a text message that he was going to kill himself. And he asked me to protect his wife. And he followed through. And that was a that was a big learning curve for me in my career. Because 
as I shared with you, I had, I've started to become an instructor. I was teaching interview and interrogation. I was teaching at a junior college. And uh, when I graduated St. Bonaventure, they actually invited me to become adjunct faculty in their sociology department. I taught criminology and juvenile delinquency. And so I had started to become in tune with post-traumatic stress. I started to become aware of it in my training at Bonaventure. And I started to see the consequences it was having on some people that I cared very much for at work. And I realized I've been a police officer 10 years now. I've been to a supervisory training. I've been to forensic interview schools and nobody in law enforcement is talking about PTSD. And it took me getting a part-time job to make extra money, to go to a private university, to get master's level training, to learn about a diagnosable disorder that is caused by exposure that is 100% manageable because it's injury-based and nobody in law enforcement is talking about it and it's attacking our profession at a greater incident rate than any other profession. And so I started to talk about it. If I was teaching interview and interrogation, I'd talk in Syracuse, New York, I would talk 15 minutes about PTSD. If I was teaching organized crime at Jamestown Community College, I would take 15 minutes and talk about PTSD because I believe that knowledge is power. And I also believe that uh, the question is not, will you have an opportunity to dance with PTSD if you're a police officer? The question is, how many times are you going to hear the music? And you better know how to dance because if you chose to protect and serve, put bread on your table, you can never forget that the people that you're responsible to most fiercely protect and serve are the people that love you, the people that you love. And you got to put yourself in that pack, self-care. It's got to be the base, the foundation of protecting and serving, because if it's not, this job is going to chew you up. It's that simple. And nobody took that oath with me when I raised my hand and put my other hand on a Bible that I want to protect and serve. And I mean, my wife wasn't there. I wasn't even with her at the time. My kids weren't alive. And, you know, shame on me if I let the my quality of life get deteriorated because of my line of work. And then I go home less a man and, and force feed that loss of quality of life down their throat. It's not fair. That's not doing my job. I, I took an oath to protect and serve. And the people that I need to protect and serve most fiercely are the people that love me. So on August 18th, 2009, my best friend took his life. And I learned a hell of a lot more about PTSD. And I thought I knew a lot about it, enough to be going around and talking about it. But it taught me that the disorder is insidious enough that it can sneak in right under your nose. And it can rip somebody that you love away from you like that. Somebody that you think you know, somebody that you spend a lot of time with. And I also know that Dennis's death was unnecessary. Looking backwards with clarity, and I also know that our administration the Cattaraugus County Sheriff's Office could have done more to serve him while he protected and served. So my presentation 
is a bit of therapy for me to do something with the shit sandwich I was force fed. Because uh, when it does come my time to cross over down the road, uh, I'm, I'm going to punch Dennis in the face when I see him. <laughs> but uh, I also I also want to be able to look at him and tell him I did everything. Everything that I could with what happened to prevent it from happening again, not just in this family, but on anybody else's watch in any other agency. So, you know, I don't, I don't make a lot of money doing it. I do it for a purpose. It's uh, it's missionary for me, but it's a, uh, it's a terrible void that is still not being addressed anywhere near as well as it should not just in Cattaraugus County, not just in New York State, but all over the United States. We need to do a better job protecting and serving those people that have chosen to protect and serve. Simply stated, there's work to do. Thank you, Sheriff. Uh, thank you for those powerful words. Uh, Keith? So we've got this conference coming up that you heard Tim mention, and I want to make sure that you have all of the opportunities to go and both uh, listen to this podcast and then spread the word about the podcast. Sheriff's words today, I believe, will touch many in the agencies, and we know that this is a far-reaching opportunity to spread the word. So you can find these podcasts on Spotify at Al Leaps. And then also on Facebook, Al Leaps. And then we also have a website, alleaps.org. And you can request specific topics for us to discuss on this podcast. But all of our focus right now is making sure you're aware that our conference is coming up on February 8th and 9th. We have a dinner that evening, February 8th, for all the officers and their families. And on February 9th, we have registration that starts that morning at 7.30. And we're hoping to see as many of you there as possibly can come. That's 2727 Fortner Street in Dothan, Alabama. You know, I, I, tell, I, I tell folks this, the thing that I like about you, I know how difficult it is because I can sit here and watch you. And I wish I was either in New York with you or you were here in Alabama because me and you will get a cup and can do some talking, especially with, with the, the triggers I just watched. You're real and you're authentic, and most folks in your position, you know this and I know this, they're not real and they're not authentic. And that's the problem, the reason why we have the issues we're having in law enforcement, because folks won't get real. So thank yeah, you. You know what else, you know what else Doc, on that note? Uh, listen, I, I, the pandemic has slowed my lecture circuit down quite a bit, obviously, but I do do two to three of these a month usually, right? Mm -hmm. And you know who doesn't go to them? Yeah. The sheriffs. Chiefs. Yep. They're, they're not the ones that attend. So I just I just keep telling myself that the people that I am talking to are going to be the sheriffs. They're going to be the chiefs. That's right? it. It's going to be a culture and, uh, change. Yeah. Change, change is coming. <clears throat> I mean, for our whole peer support, we've not had one sheriff that's attended the complete one. We've had four police chiefs that have attended and become certified, which I think is really cool. But again, that's I awesome. get back to what you're talking about. A lot of these guys in leadership positions, <clears throat> sooner or later, will tell you, it may not be in mine in your lifetime, 
but we cast the we, we've cast the bread out, and, and sooner or later it's going to take hold. But thank you so much for being real, Keith. I'll let you finish it up. You want me to? <laughs> Thanks again, Sheriff and Tim. If you can close out our session today, Sheriff, thank you so much for being real and authentic. Um, any closing words you have as we prepare for uh, not only the conference next year. Uh, or this year, I'm sorry, uh, but also kind of a lead in what we're going to be doing those six hours you're going to be with us that day. Well, I'm going to prove unequivocally to anybody that's in the audience, uh, I'm going to prove to everybody whose eyes and ears are in the room that there's a confrontation that needs to take place in the subculture of law enforcement. And uh, we need to have a a, a heart-to-heart conversation with ourselves, looking in the mirror and looking at each other. And there is a change that needs to occur. Anybody that comes is not going to be able to deny that by the time I leave. I think that what makes, I'm biased, of course, but I'm, I'm, I believe that what makes my presentation uh, authentic and credible is that I'm about to begin my 32nd year in law enforcement. And I've worked seven and a half years major crime. I worked uh, three years midnights. I worked three years on our traffic division, and uh, I spent 12 years on our tactical team. Uh, One cop can't bullshit another cop. And the reason people listen to me for four or five hours during a lecture is because I have street credibility as a police officer. And I don't have the fancy letters after my name. So it's going to be a... a street education on PTSD mirrored in with a a college-educated explanation of the who, what, when, where, why, and how of PTSD. And if you're going to be a police officer, there are some things that you need to know about it to keep yourself safe, to keep your family safe. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We'll be continuing with Sheriff Whitcomb. Next episode, look forward... You joining us then, thank you for being with us.